welcome to the Nirvana Strength Practitioners Panel Podcast, where we explore the idea of human performance optimization. I'm Ian McLeod, the co-founder of Nirvana Strength, and on today's episode, we'll be joined by Dr. Jeremy Alford. Uh, he is a clinical psychologist, clinical hypnotherapist, and biofeedback therapist. He has nearly 20 years of mental health experience in multicultural settings, having trained and worked in the UK, the Middle East, and in the last five years in Bali. He holds a BA in MPhil and PhD in clinical uh, psychology from the University College Kensington. He's a graduate member of the British uh, Psychological uh, Society, member of the International Association for Cognitive Psychotherapy, and the British Society of Clinical and Academic Hypnosis. He's the founder and president of the Middle East Eating Disorders Association and offers an intensive, personalized, integrative cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness retreat program in Bali, Cyprus, and soon other destinations in the Mediterranean. Uh, so today we will be discussing specifically uh, on performance and pain management. Uh, welcome, Jeremy Alford. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so. Um, but actually, I think before we get into the topic, um, I would definitely love to hear about uh, what you're doing um, with regards to your uh, mindfulness retreat programs uh, mm-hmm. and your retreats. I think I think they're really quite interesting. I think it kind of fits in or will lead in really well into uh, the general topic of uh, performance and pain management. Okay. So uh, thank you uh, for, well, uh, I'm happy to be here. And um, so I'll, I'll just start by telling you a little bit about my, my uh, 20 years of, of uh, experience in mm-hmm. mental health, working in uh, various uh, cultures, various countries. Um, and initially, I would say in the last maybe first 15 years of my uh, experience as a practitioner, I was working in a very traditional uh, way mm. tra- in traditional settings, uh, clinics, or hospitals. I had my own private practice as well, and I used to see, um, I've been seeing um, clients and uh, patients uh, in a regular fashion, so right. on an hourly basis, and uh, carrying out assessments. And, uh, um, my orientation as a as a psychologist is based on what we call a cognitive behavioral therapist, mm. um, but um, cognitive behavioral therapy is a is an approach that encap- encapsulates many different uh, branches, uh, but the uh, the basis of of also known as CBT mm. is a it's an evidence based type of um, therapy. It's very structured. It's a, it's very uh, psychoeducational, so it's very interactive, and there's homework homework based. Uh, we really work on the, on the here and the now. Mm. Um, as opposed to uh, working over the past, uh, but um, that's the traditional form of CBT. Yeah. What I do is I, I um, integrate CBT with other practices. Okay. So that are much more person-centered. So by person-centered means that we do uh, take into account uh, the histories of, of the the person and the background, and we will include other various forms of humanistic type. Of therapies yeah. uh, as well. So when you're like having a discussion with someone for the first time and you're trying to figure out like what kind of issues they're dealing with, mm. uh, it's I mean it's kind of I mean it's, be, it's very similar to like a like a general practitioner doctor where like people can tell you certain symptoms but they won't actually be able to tell you like how what the actual problem is. Obviously, like is it a, quite a hard process to kind of figure out what exactly they're dealing with? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, actually, it really is. It, it's different from person to person. Mm. Um, sometimes the symptoms are very uh, clear. Uh, the presentation is, is clear, so you might have a, a, a very quick idea of what the person is going through, even by meeting them the first time. Yeah. Um, so you might have just an idea, uh, but okay. usually it takes a few sessions, maybe three, three to five sessions, really to really get a, a, a clear uh, kind of uh, diagnos diagnosis. Mm -hmm. For some people, we you know normally we would wait about a month yeah. time, if not a little bit more than that. Like before you give them a Bef before we give like a a, a, a formal diagnosis mm. uh, generally these are what we call p uh, preliminary assessments so like a, and, and let's say uh, preferably um, what we want to avoid doing as, as a practitioner is to um, make the person feel like like we've just come up with a label right. and that they that they're leaving with with kind of a label of what they're, they're, they're as a disorder that they're suffering from yeah immediately after the first session so we kind of it's always kind of better not to give any kind of diagnosis even the so first, the fr from the beginning unless they're coming to see you and they've already been assessed by some other doctors before or right. psychiatrist and they're already already coming to see you and they already have that kind of diagnosis then mm. then you can already kind of work with that but still you try to keep an unbiased um, uh, attitude as, yeah. a, as a professional uh, unless you're working as a team right you know but if they're coming from the outside you you want to make sure that you're gonna reassess the person or assess them from your perspective mm. because you never know sometimes it can be a misdiagnosed you know and then the person is carrying a, a kind of diagnosis that is not necessarily the right one for right. them so and at the same time you, you really want to help the person move away from that idea that label because uh, they end up identifying be, with it yeah. because they identify with it mm. and it can be much more hurtful in the long run mm. you know especially if there are some conditions that can be temporary yeah. that can be easily resolved let's say with the right um, approach yeah so for the like for the retreats that you do um, because you're probably dealing with somebody who's here for a very short period of time is there like a more like progressive uh, program that you're putting them through to kind of like do get through things like quicker than they normally would so to answer this question just going back to what I was uh, saying initially as, as a practitioner I've been trained to see clients uh, on an hourly basis mm. maybe once a week sometimes twice a week sometimes three times a week if it's if it's lucky but uh, generally we're not trained to actually uh, offer something that's intensive mm. as an intensive approach although most psychologists will actually agree of the benefits of having something that's much more um, intense mm. as an as an approach the only thing is that it's not being offered for for multiple mm. multiple reasons yeah. uh, I would say but uh, so th when moving to Bali this this is this is kind of a model that I was very uh, interested in in uh, putting together and um, what I noticed is that people were just getting so much more out of it in a relatively short uh, span of time yeah so uh, the way we, we do is following uh, a, a clinical guidelines in terms of um, uh, basing the number of uh, uh, hours of therapy uh, comparing the num number of hours of therapy that you would reg uh, uh, normally do 
for treatments of anxiety mm -hmm. related disorders or uh, mood disorders like typically depression um, we know clinically we know in terms of studies uh, that a certain number of hours uh, is needed to begin to, to see uh, improvements mm -hmm. in, the, in the treatment uh, and so that could range from about uh, eight hours uh, as, a, as a start mm -hmm. uh, to maybe uh, 14 hours depending on the condition uh, certain types of eating disorders like bulimia for example we know that about 20 hours and so what we do what I've done is basically crunch those number of hours mm -hmm. instead of having them spread over a six-month period or an eight-month period is like crunch them t together yeah. and seeing the person two hours every single day for a certain length of time yeah. and we're able to cover a lot of ground uh, work uh, with them during that that short time mm -hmm. uh, before they are to leave and most important part is when they leave is uh, having a follow-up um, right. follow-up um, and maintenance support so in, in that way, it does sound very similar to like even getting normal rehab for like injuries where, um, you know, you see, you think of like professional athletes after they get hurt, you know, they are going through like some rehab process every single day, um, you know, because they need to get back uh, to performing as quickly as possible. But then, you know, you think of uh, kind of normal everyday people, they might go to rehab like once a week or once every two weeks, like on top of all the other stuff they're doing in their lives. So it does, I mean, I think in that way, it does make sense to have more intensive sessions to get people back on their feet as quickly as possible. Yes. I mean, there's, there's something about the idea of conditioning uh, and the habit. Mm. Uh, it's the, the way that we are, <coughs> a, lot of, a lot of the way that we are, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave is, is, uh, is, is part of a pattern that, that has become subconscious. Yeah. And so we find ourselves just doing what we do and the way we do it mm -hmm. automatically without kind of thinking about it. So when we're suffering from something, it's the same loop. We're stuck in some form of a loop. And yeah. so by, by having sessions closer together and at a more intense level, it's really helpful in being able to break that loop. Mm -hmm. Higher chances of being able to break that loop in a relatively short span of time because of this kind of flooding type of approach, yeah. this con conditioning type of approach. So do you, do you also find that too with a lot of your clients that even just the act of getting them out of like stressful situations that they might be in benefits them? So like bringing them to Bali, bringing them to maybe some of your locations in, in the Mediterranean? Absolutely, because it's a change of scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, it's a, it's, a it's a change of what they're typically used to. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, being in a destination like like in Bali is is already uh, we can say uh, has is already like 40 50 percent of of of, uh, of, a, of a healing uh, environment mm. it's such so conducive to uh, to that I mean whether it's Bali or, or other destinations uh, uh, that are similar right. uh, the, so the environment we're in has plays such an important uh, role in, in one's mm. healing process in assisting yeah uh, if I compare the way that I used to work in a traditional office space white walls mm. uh, might have been a little bit cozy but in hospitals with all the stigma it makes it really with the more difficult and lights and all that yeah, stuff just yeah. makes it more difficult yeah because yeah. yeah definitely I think when it comes to things that are you know dealing with the mind um, I mean traditionally it also has kind of a negative stigma towards it right like if you're talking with someone and you even incorporate any word of psycho and anything right automatically it's like oh my god like what's what's uh it's uh, i do find it uh when people are dealing with like depression or dealing with these kind of um disorders that uh, because they end up 
there's no like 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 you're not walking around with a, a cast on your leg and so then people would like generally would ask you like what's wrong or whatever and you can't explain it and um yeah it's 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 uh it's hard for people to think of like these mental issues um in, in kind of a real way um just like a normal injury would be um, absolutely um it's 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 the the the, the type of 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 issue that um, affects us all mm-hmm. we're, we're all affected by some form of mental health at some point in our life uh, and um it's just this invisible uh, condition yeah. that um, does have physiological um, symptoms and manifestations, but it's very difficult for people to comprehend, yeah. especially people who are around you. It might be family, it might be friends, and um, that's for one. They might just you know ask you to s- just snap out of it, and because yeah. of, a, of a poor understanding of what's going on, so we might not necessarily be giving the right advice for that kind of. I would say pain experience. Yeah, you know, because there's different. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, you do find it in. Um, I mean, especially coming from America, where like we played a lot of team sports. Mm. Like I played on American football teams, where it's like a hundred plus guys, and it's just massive testosterone. And even in like physical injury uh, situations, where like, um, you know, maybe you like you're you have a really massive like ankle sprain, or um, you know, you, like I tore my PCL and even in those scenarios it's almost like all right don't be a you know don't be a, a woman like walk it off like rub some dirt on it and it's like dude like i just tore all the ligaments in my knee like you know like you need to rethink like how absolutely. how you think of this kind of stuff yeah absolutely it's everything that's invisible to us that we don't see that we don't notice it's, yeah it's it's difficult uh, for other people to kind of understand they can't necessarily relate to it unless they actually see something like see like a massive cut or see like the bone sticking out of the leg so it seems like people have more empathy towards something that they can actually see that's more tangible yeah as opposed to things that they're they're not that they can't see yeah so a lot of people won't understand what's going on so they might not necessarily be giving the right advice Mm. um so 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 yes in terms of mental health is people need just to, you know a lot of the time it's just lack of awareness mm. people do not, don't understand what what these are because maybe they've never been through it or maybe because when they were growing up they weren't really encouraged to talk yeah you know so as you said by the examples that you're just giving just as a, as a, as a as a as a boy maybe you were told to kind of man up mm. you know, early on and not to show your or express your emotions so yeah. you were taught very early on not to express yourself you know and if you're a girl when that's kind of the opposite in that sense like uh, it's you know we, we, we might just you know uh, let you ex- express your emotions but yeah. you, it's kind of more accepted in mm. that in that respect because you're a woman than as if you were a man especially in some cultures mm. um, and so uh, yeah there's this kind of great divide that's there but um, between men and women but mm. it's kind of slowly changing I think you know around the world you know it's there's, um, I think, more awareness today than there ever was at yeah. uh, any other time. There's yeah. more, you know, uh, movements. There's a lot of people advocating for mental health who are really kind of, you know. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've seen the, the movie yet, uh, Joker, mm-hmm. right? And that whole movie, man, it's like causing this just, just yeah, it's a weird scene now, like, with regards to, like, media and how this movie's being portrayed because it's just all about, like, mental illness and how society is, like, either... Um, creating a situation that makes it much worse 
by not providing a, a system that actually helps people get over or helps deal with these issues. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. Like, well, it's not, not like really in a good way, but it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. Like how that movie's kind of brought all these issues to the forefront. And, uh, and you can see a lot of the issues that are pr- present in that movie, like being really present in real life. And, uh, yeah, I think is, do you find in, 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 in your field that there's also a big shift with regards to like the clinics and stuff and like how they're dealing with um. well first of all about the kind of movies that uh, depict uh, mental health is such a, a, a tricky thing mm. because on the one hand okay there's the there's the movie yeah. uh, and their story that uh, they you know they want to they want to share uh, some of them they are careful with uh, you know when there's something about ment- with, me- with respect to mental health mm. in terms of film directors are a little bit more sensitive and careful to, to, towards how it's going to be portrayed yeah. others it's not necessarily that they're not I'm not sure exactly how you know that movie was was, yeah. was set in place but you know it's always going to cause some kind of uh, you know um, reaction you yeah. know especially if if the movie was kind of very an intense the way that it, it was so yeah this one was might super show a very, really negative side for to sure su- super intense and then also obviously because like the character joker you know he's correct yeah you know traditionally known as like the bad guy and yes. he's like you know obviously like killing people and doing all these like yeah. really bad things so there was like parts of it where it's like almost in that i mean the movie he becomes kind of like the hero um, yes. and he becomes uh, glorified and so then there's obviously people that's like wow this is going to cause some really massive uh, massive yeah. problems of course um, especially when we're talking about okay it's this is a, a, a fictional story uh, that uh, was uh, you know it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a cartoon mm-hmm. and that they wanted to create as kind of real real life right character mm-hmm. and so yes they were kind of pushing pushing it uh, in that kind of risky risky dimension I suppose you know, yeah. but, uh, but do you uh, think that sometimes some things some things do need to get pushed even maybe borderline too far before you start seeing some actual like changes in, in like in the system because mm. uh, that, that's been the trend right yeah and, and for, for a lot of things it's like we, when, when when we're pushed to some form of uh, extreme mm. uh, in, in whatever aspect of life or some crisis situation or, yeah. or some accident it kind right. of um, usually it kind of triggers us to reflect about the situation and yeah. to become aware of something maybe we were not being too careful about before so yeah and I, I guess yeah it's always like that idea of being pushed like so far is is very um, relevant to other areas in, in human history right like just like let's say even cult, like uh, the environment right mm. like uh, there's a lot of us obviously trying to like do things that to help make the planet more green or you know mm. whatever eco-friendly but it does seem like there's a, like a large population where it would it would take a massive um, happening of some kind before there's some real change and I find that it's very similar to some people with regards to like uh, the way they exercise the way they live their life right they have to experience some kind of trauma before they're like wow they wake up and they got to make a change some people need that level of trauma, but some people don't. Um, you find you find a lot of your clients tend to experience some high level trauma, or is most of their issues kind of like accumulated over their over their lives? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I think there's tra- there is some form of trauma with mm-hmm. every person that that I will see, at least in in my profession. That's 
there's always going to be some kind of trauma, whether it's something that was um, th that was uh, brewing, mm. and so it came on kind of gradually and has a long history, uh, or um, something that was very sudden and uh, immediate. Mm. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, this is this is definitely something that that we're always working with, you know, in, in this practice. Mm. Um, what was the other question you were asking? Um, whether whether most of mo whether most of the clients you're dealing with are is it mostly from uh, are they dealing with some kind of one tr big trauma incident or mm. is it something that maybe mm. maybe it was something really small when they were younger but over the course of like growing up twenty years like yeah. they've progressively just just get. I don't know, like worse and worse and worse and yeah. worse until suddenly it's just... Yeah. I mean, when we talk about the crisis situation, usually that's when people are actually going to go and seek help. Mm. You know, they're, they're not... In, in general, we're, we're not too fond of prevention, especially when it talks Very about, like, yeah. you know, prevention about my health, you know, kind of maybe avoid that or think that everything's okay, mm. you know, un until something actually does happen. Yeah, until you lose your health. Until yeah. we lose our health. Yeah. And then we discover whether, oh, okay, so this is something that's been gradually brewing for mm. a very long time, mm. as you said, okay, and now I've just hit rock bottom, my crisis point. Uh, or whether it was like, uh, you know, something that was very devastating and really, uh, really shocking. Yeah. Uh, that was in the immediate, then we're going to do something about it. Mm. And I presume that's the case, not necessarily just for you know, seeing a psychologist, uh, but I, th I think just any other practitioner, even a, phys oh, a physiotherapist, sure. or you know, the, the, the physiotherapists are going to talk about. There's lots of exercise you can be doing to pre as a prevention. Mm. But how many people know about it? How mm. many people do it? How many people go and see a physiotherapist just for the sake of prevention? Yeah, that's a big thing. You know, I think uh, you know, obviously, me being more in the in the fitness industry. Uh, there's a, and I, I do kind of see like a, a massive shift happening, you know, like there, there was, uh, I think things like CrossFit and what yoga has become now, it's like, you know, they've done a, a very good job with regards to like building more interest in people wanting to do exercise and get healthy. But there's also a big shift in people doing exercises that they're not really fully prepared to do or they're not being taught properly so then you see like a, a massive amount of people getting you know getting injured and, and there's there's you know plenty of stories out there where there's um there's physical therapists that just they'll set up their clinic right across the street from you know a bunch of uh, gyms because they know that immediately like they're going to come over and um and need to get fixed basically yeah. mm -hmm. uh so I, I do think there is kind of some shift in the in the mindset with regards to getting more into the preventative side of things mm -hmm. do you also see that with regards to your your industry as well yeah there there is there is definitely a a, a a will there wanting to raise awareness that's why in some countries you know mm. people are more informed um and they're more readily um receptive and open to to doing something about it you know being more mindful but i think also the kind of the governments in the some of these countries mm -hmm. play an essential role in um in um, being active at that level and in f and getting the general public uh, more informed mm -hmm. you know, perhaps even in schools you know having professionals go in and talk uh, about uh, various subjects yeah. you know that can be very um enlightening and, and useful for the kids 
and yeah. uh, students, you know, whatever age they're at. So I, def- I definitely think that, that in some countries, there's definitely a, they're very proactive mm. in, with respects to that. You know, so um, yeah, but it's not in, not everywhere. Yeah, you know, just in some countries. Perhaps. For some, definitely for some governments uh, or just some organizations and systems, it's, it's it's hard to. It can be hard to sell the idea of like being preventative and mm. and trying to. Like if you have a group of healthy individuals and it's like saying, okay, you need to do all this stuff, pay all this money so that you don't get hurt in the future, mm. you know, looking at it from a business perspective, it's like, well, all my, all my clients or all my people are already healthy. Like, why do I need to mm. help them be more healthy? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, what yeah. would you say? Like, if you were to talk with like a government official, it's like, why, mm. what's the, why, what's the benefit of, of doing preventative care you know why should i help my healthy if you know if everybody's relatively healthy already like why should i help them be more healthy if Mm. that makes sense well i guess uh i guess on the on the one on the one hand um you know uh if people are are really very healthy yeah then they might not necessarily need any other uh, treatments, I suppose, you know, mm. but uh, I, I'm not sure if, if uh, you know, if, you know, the, let's say but, the, but the, na- the National Health Service, yeah. you know, the, are, are, I suppose, pretty, um, you know, informative and mm. already, I guess there's, I guess there's always a way to, to, to do better, yeah. you know, I think there's, there's always room mm. for improvement. You, uh, you you might be already in a in a good situation today as in, in a in a certain country in yeah. terms of providing uh, a lot of information and I guess a government official you know in that respect would probably say well, we're already doing a good job but mm. I'm sure that a person in that position would always be receptive and open to mm. you know how can we improve that yeah. you know, because it's always going to be proactive mm. I, I don't I don't think a person is just going to be you know, rigidly fixed. Well, we're already doing a good job. Right. We're going to stop there. Yeah. I think in in those nations, in those countries where they're already kind of preventative and right. already, uh, you know, being a, a proactive with their with the public and mm. the communities, will always be receptive of how we can continue to continuously improve because there's yeah. always something that you can improve. No, I think that's a good way to look at all you know all the situations because you know it would. I was thinking too, like you know, a lot of people, particularly in the fitness industry, they'll use words like, like healthy or really any kind of adjectives, and they use it kind of in a, but they're never they're never really explaining like what are they comparing, like the like what do you mean by healthy, right? Like who what are you comparing it to? Because uh, if I, you know, me as a you know I'm like at 88 kgs now, um, but very a muscular frame, and you know if I were to I'm technically from a BMI point of view like I'm obese um, maybe even higher than obese um, but you know if I go to you know if I go to America like I'm tiny like I'm a small person you know yeah. and there everybody there is like huge and so there I would be you know obviously depicted as like very healthy um, whereas I could go to maybe some Asian countries where I'm really big um, but uh, yeah I think the the comparing to like what, what are you comparing to how with that uh, in mind, like how how would you define like what is uh, what is normal 
Um, how do I decide as a, as a country or as an individual, depending on what my environment is, like how do I decide like what, it, what, what should I actually be at? What, what is my goal? Because I think for some people, just saying like you should be better is, is, is a hard mm. you know, goal to have or it's a hard mindset to, to maintain. People always want like a, what is the end result? Kind yes, of. certainly. Um, I, th- I think that the topic of the, you, the words that we use is, mm. is uh, a huge area of, of debate, actually. Yeah. Words can actually be very triggering, can be very dangerous as well, you know, yeah. depending on what we're struggling with. But the word healthy, for example, you know, or healthy eating, mm. you know, what, what does that mean, you know, if I'm struggling with an eating uh, disorder? Right. And there's so many different forms of eating disorders, you know. We see eating disorders. Eating disorders is not just about not eating enough, you know. It's or not eating at all, mm. or restricting. Mm. You know, could also be eating a lot, you know. And we can also find a lot of cases of people who have eating disorders without knowing that it's eating disorders in the uh, athletic uh, arena, you know, mm. and in gyms especially. But I think well. it, with those mm. things, like people always think of the the extremes of those situations, right? Because there could mm. be not as extreme uh, eating disorders, right? You could have like a lower level of, of, of course. eating disorder. Of course, of course. You know, it's uh, eating disorders is, is a spectrum. Mm. You know, and there's, you know, what we call functional type mm. eating disorders. So the person has a disordered behavior or disordered eating as opposed to eating disorder. So we, we, we differentiate between those, this terminology. So I've got a disordered eating, okay? Uh, and, and the reason why I have a disordered eating is because I'm presenting with uh, symptoms that are actually affecting my health, mm. perhaps my functioning to some degree. You know, when it becomes an eating disorder, then perhaps those symptoms are affecting my health and functioning at a higher de- degree. And more importantly, uh, I've got a fixation and obsession mm. uh, over uh, food and weight and shape, mm. uh, you know that that's really one of the key points here. And eating disorder is generally I've got an obsession, uh, that's an occupation, a high yeah. preoccupation over weight and shape. Yeah, you know that can that doesn't necessarily mean a person who's let's say very um, uh, underweight. It could also be someone who's very overweight right. uh, as well. You know, and and, and also um, um, in terms of um, muscle mass, okay, uh, as well. So, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think for sure, you know, the environment, especially the way marketing and, and mass media is nowadays, right? Like how much they project like what people um, should look like, right? What is the ideal body type? Uh, we think of uh, in, in America, you know, Marilyn Monroe, you know, was seen as like a sex symbol back in her days and she I believe at the time was somewhere around like a size four or size five like dress size whereas now it's like some people even go to extreme where you need to be like at a size zero mm. uh to be to be considered at that same level uh, but then there's even a shift at the extreme at the other end where now in america there's like this whole thing with fat acceptance yes and uh and i understand the the person that you know obviously you don't you don't want to be very negative towards yourself or your body type but you also um, shouldn't I don't think like you should accept like if you're massively obese like that's just not healthy and to just be like oh I'm gonna just accept myself because I just I want to feel comfortable in my skin I think it's quite dangerous in the opposite yes of course direction as well yes of course it, it, it depends on, on how we are uh, you know addressing 
addressing these issues because you know I I, I might have um, a set point uh, in terms of my body um, uh, weight and um, muscle mass that mm. uh, might be uh, a certain size, mm -hmm. but that set point might be the right for me, you know, and might be totally okay, you know. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, uh, in the same way that my set point might uh, mean that my body has a, uh, let's say, a, a shape that is uh, perhaps uh, um, uh, thinner, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then if I'm over that set point, then that means that I also. Uh, can be o become overweight, mm -hmm. even though uh, my physiological constitution will be different from one body, to right. one, one person to the other. So um, every every physical body is is different. You've got different types, different yeah. different sizes, different heights, uh, and and so so what's important here is to be able to look at each person individually, and to see what's right for for them right. and where they're at. And so, if a person is in a let's say morbidly o o obese uh, situation, and mm. we would like to kind of explore and address what's going on here, because that's definitely a sign of a lot of things happening here that we need to address and assess, mm. and take things step step by step on that on that respect. Yeah. Um, uh, so when we come back to that word that you were saying, like you were using the word healthy, mm. okay, so then we would really have to be careful of of that word, you know, and probably even. I guess in some circles, like avoid using the word healthy, mm. and perhaps uh, use the word optimal uh, instead. Mm. You know, what would be something that's optimal uh, for me? You know, in terms of where where I would like to be in, in my life, in, in terms of contentment and right. and, and joy. You know, and, yeah. uh, as opposed to using words like happiness. Do you, you know, do uh, you also work with people with how they they react emotionally to certain words? Like, because I think for me, like, in particular when I was younger, you know, I think, um, you know, I was a f kind of a chubby, fat kid, like, growing up. And so even the word, like, saying that someone is fat is, like, automatically just, you're saying it more from just, um, just the way they look. And it's just, it's just purely about, you know, it's kind of a negative word in that sense. Um, but even that, I think now I look at the word fat from a very health perspective and just, like, well, you're, you've got a lot of fat, and it's not going to be very healthy from a health perspective, not so much as just a descriptive, yes. um, descriptive word. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely, we work, we work uh, on, um, in, in sessions, we work on the way we interpret mm. um, our situations, and so the way we also interpret mm. ideas, and so therefore how the way we interpret words. And if such a word is triggering for me, let's explore uh, the reasons why it's triggering, yeah. and perhaps what would help you to, you know, maybe respond uh, differently mm. uh, to that. And so there's different kind of uh, ways of working around um, challenging your um, mindset, which is a part of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. You know, it's about um, exploring the way that I'm thinking and how the way I'm thinking is affecting the way I feel emotionally okay. and how that is impacting on my behavior and yeah. the choices I'm making and how that's exacerbating the physical symptoms that I'm experiencing mm. you know whether it's tightness in the chest or in the, 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 the belly or mm. a headache or anything like that so uh, definitely one of the things we, we do address is, is um, pers perspectives mm. you know and therefore 
words and could I um, maybe interpret that word differently right and am I ready and open to doing that so it really becomes a one-on-one personal personal experience that we go through you know? so with with regards to like uh, so like to mix in like with what what you do with you know with uh, like actual like physical pain you know when when someone has or they they've they physically like they've gone to like physical therapists they've gone to their doctors and the doctors saying like there's no structural damage there's no like physical problem as to why you're experiencing pain when you perform like I don't know X movement or you're you're I don't know maybe you're just back hurts every day and you just kind of nothing is actually happening um, what's the, what's the kind of the general process of someone kind of figuring out if there's actually if they're like technically fully recovered from whatever traumatic experience they had, um, how does that transition into the, the mental component of what you're, you're working on? Now already that's a big question because uh, there's so many different types of, of pain. There's the profile of the person, there's the history of the person that mm. we need to, to consider, but definitely pain is a real experience for the person who's experiencing it. Right. So that's really the first thing that's the most important thing. So it's probably not a good idea to yeah. say that, no, you're not experiencing pain. Yes. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, you shouldn't feel sad or no, you should, like, yeah. telling someone else how yeah. to emotionally or react you, to something. Yeah. Exactly. Or you shouldn't be experiencing the, 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 this pain in your body right, right, right. now as yeah. well. But, 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 but I am feeling the strain in my back. Mm. I mean, it's not invisible. I'm yeah. really experiencing it. Okay. Uh, and, and, what makes it even more painful and more difficult is that for, for some of these people, they don't have an organic explanation for it. Mm. That there's no medical doctor who's actually been able to tell them that uh, what they're ha- experiencing is, is, has, has a, a, a biological explanation uh, right. for it. And that's even more painful for, for a, a lot of these people mm. uh, because they really feel lost. So they don't really understand what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, when when we talk about you know conditions that have more of a functional uh, basis to them, mm-hmm. meaning that okay, we don't have an organic explanation to, to, to this condition, but there's a functional basis. So here we're talking maybe about an, an, a nervous system uh, um, disorder, uh, or mm. it might be something related to the brain, but we don't have a complete explanation to it. So here we're talking about conditions like fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. or uh, central uh, sensitization, which is a, 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 a miscommunication that's actually happening in your uh, your nervous system uh, uh, after having gone through maybe a, a real physical trauma that's mm-hmm. very real, but yet the um, memory of it in your nervous system is still kind of locked in. Mm-hmm. So even though you've fully recovered and you've gone through rehab, and all the doctors are telling you, well, you're totally fine now, but yeah. then your your body is still responding in that in that sense. So that's when we talk about a functional uh, or a basis to yeah. uh, the, the condition, which can then very quickly lead into uh, emotion the emotional dimension, and that becomes right. psychosomatic, meaning I begin to have anxieties and fears mm. uh, that it won't go, that right. it will probably stay there, and so that in itself might exacerbate the the the, the cycle. Yeah, you know, and perhaps even the the degree of the pain that so, could then turn into something more chronic. So, like, do you find? Um, I, I'm guessing you've probably um, dealt with some like athletes um, as well, and uh, I find that for athletes it can be quite 
difficult sometimes because if they get hurt in the act of performing their sport and then they get, you know, uh, they recover physically, but then they've got to go back into that same situation, right? And they're just, uh, I mean, I've had it with a couple of the, the Bali United soccer players where, you know, they get hurt doing something, playing the game, and then as soon as they get, even they're fully healed, they're always going to be very hesitant to go back into that situation again. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to be uh, diff to different degrees. Uh, some athletes will take longer than others to get over that mental component, like being um, safe with, you know, um, knowing that their knee is like fully healed, like getting to that point mentally is quite hard. Yes. Um, so how do you, how much more like difficult or uh, maybe it's not the right kind of question, but someone that has to go back into that same situation for their livelihood, mm. um, do you, is, are there specific techniques or specific ways that you kind of help these people yes, deal definitely. with those situations? Definitely. For, I mean, one of the, the, the most helpful things is to have a, you know the involvement of a psychologist or uh, s sessions with a psychotherapist to mm -hmm. actually help the person to uh, maybe uh, uh, work on the um, apprehensions that, that they have if mm -hmm. they're showing signs of apprehensions um, that would definitely uh, help them to uh, to understand what they're experiencing somehow is normal mm -hmm. as a result of the uh, incident yeah. that occurred and um, working on um, using different techniques to uh, to, to rebuild uh, confidence mm. you know, um, and to gradually re-expose them to the game as opposed to um, you know kind of going back into the game like in just one one shot at that level knowing fully well that they won't be able to get to that same level immediately yeah. so it's like kind of a gradual re-exposure mm. to uh, to the game, whatever game it is, whether yeah. it's playing tennis or you know, with a, yeah. you know, as a result of a tennis elbow, you know, for example, yeah, and a think, frequent injury for, for yeah. Tennis. And I think the way you explain yeah. it is quite. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense because you would do essentially the same thing from a physical perspective as well, right? Mm. Like when you're rehabbing somebody, you're progressing them mm. uh, usually in a very smart and safe manner. Mm. Um, I think from the mental component, it makes sense to do very similar thing. We do find that a lot of people when they like, let's say, if they injure themselves with like let's say for example their shoulder in a particular position even when their shoulder fully heals like their kind of their central nervous system remembers being hurt in that position mm -hmm. so then even if they're fully healed they'll just experience pain in that position just from uh, kind of a safety perspective right like their mind just wants to protect their body from not getting hurt again yes that's the, that's the mechanism you mm -hmm. know pain pain in in fact is is a, a protective alarm system mm -hmm. you know that's that's uh, set uh, as a result of of um, a survival mechanism in the brain mm -hmm. so it's actually here as a friend to actually inform us that there's something we need to pay attention to mm -hmm. it might it's not it's not necessarily a very pleasant feeling but it's actually there as, as a good thing in a way mm -hmm. uh, to, to tell you that oh there's something we need to attend to yeah. You know, as so a signal. how 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 would you like get people to? Because I find that in then in those situations, people tend to just they don't actually deal with the the underlying issues or the underlying problem. They'll just be like, oh, I have pain in this position. I'm just not going to do this position again. And then they'll just like then they'll progressively like their range of movement gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and they just avoid the mm. the pain points. Yes. And then eventually it leads to maybe something even. 
more more, exactly. more painful it leads to another on. injury. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. even from a, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, situate like normal situations in life where people might experience like anxiety being, you know, doing something public speaking or, or yeah. being in social situations. Yeah. Uh, how do you help people like better identify what the the pain points or better identify the areas that they need to work on? Well, first of all, is um, to make the person just, in a way, feel comfortable with the idea that, at least to acknowledge that th th there's something that's not mm. functioning right, and there's a communication going, and let's listen to what's being said here. So it's really an invitation to allow the person to be okay with the pain or the discomfort yeah. that needs addressing. That's just like the first step. Just yeah. to ad 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 let's address it, as opposed to hide away or run away from it or mm. avoid it, not, and and that in turn becomes functional. Because sure, you can you can live, uh, maybe you know reasonably okay, you know depending on what the the situation is. Right. But as you said earlier, that could then eventually at some point lead to other, you know, problems. Right. Starting to to develop. So again, the the first part I would say is just to be okay with uh, listening to your body mm. step one yeah step two once once I'm ready and willing to listen to my body then we can begin to talk about the next steps right you know, but I have to be willing to listen to what my body is telling me and that might mean slowing down and doing things that I don't necessarily want to be doing because yeah. I want to I want to I want to be just as I was before and I want to do as if this didn't happen to me yeah. and fall into that denial cycle yeah and I, I do think that they for some people this I mean it makes a lot of sense to to hire a coach or hire someone to help them through the process um, but do you do you also find that too like sometimes people have difficulty even um, being aware of their pain points or what their issues are is because of some kind of uh, maybe substance abuse or they're using you know, alcohol to get rid of their pain so then they no longer feel it anymore. Yes, absolutely. Th those, those are the w different, different ways of, of avoiding mm. right, that can lead to the development of other conditions. Uh, absolutely, whether it's using alcohol or whether it's using uh, painkillers, you know, it's uh, the kind of the quick fix mm. solution which actually gives you like immediate gratification. Um, but uh, after a while you become uh, addicted mm. and then eventually it leads you to developing other problems yeah so you don't have only one problem you have two three four five so you have a collection of them yeah as a consequence a domino effect yeah of, of what's going on I mean on. I remember when I you know the whole like playing you know football in, uh, in America I don't know how from familiar with like how big it is even for like high school you know for high school like being 16 17 years old I'd play a game and there's 20,000 people like you know and the entire town is just consumed by it so you know in those scenarios it it it's um, you know the idea of just t popping a bunch of painkillers to get through the game is is quite normal and uh, there was a I mean there was a point where I was just I would take like you know eight to ten you know pill like 500 milligram of whatever um, and just take them like candy right and just because I couldn't at some point like they just didn't work anymore like I didn't feel the effects of them anymore mm -hmm. and I just have to just take more um, eventually I you know obviously got off of them and eventually had to deal with all the underlying issues but 
uh, I think it does get quite easy to just start taking substances to just get yes. rid of the pain. Yeah, and, and here we're talking about uh, external pressure, expectations, mm. you know, and that, that, that puts a lot of pressure on athletes to the point that they're, they're willing to, to go through these, um, you know, uh, you know, these, these processes, you know, that, that then lead to, to, to further injuries uh, after a while. It's, it's become like the normal thing to do. It's, they've normalized it mm. as opposed to um, saying, as opposed to listening to your body in that moment and say, okay, you need to rest here. It's, it's because a huge part of being an athlete is about kno knowing and recognizing when to rest. Mm -hmm. You know, if you overexert yourself, then you're putting that unnecessary psychological pressure. And where is that coming from? And that's when we begin to explore a little bit more about your life. Mm -hmm. Okay, it might be that it's coming from your parents. You know, it might be coming from your teacher. It might be coming from your background in some respect. And you've internalized that, but you're not really exploring any of these things. What mm. you're just doing is, I need to be on the court, I need to be on the pitch, I need to be doing these things, yeah. okay? And I can't allow myself to, um, uh, you to know, relax. To, to, to yeah. relax and to yeah. rest. You know, yeah. that's high level of, of pressure that you're putting on yourself. And a lot of these, uh, you know, athletes end up, uh, you know, uh, st stopping. Mm. early because they have irreparable injuries mm. and they are unable to play the game anymore yeah okay and because I, they didn't they, they they weren't able to take that that risk because it's a risk for yeah. them it's coming from what they're used to yeah they have such high mm. level of expectations mm. you know and maybe perfectionism that yeah. uh, getting to that place of saying you know i'm going to stop st stop and relax yeah is is huge yeah. for them I to do. I think it's, so. yeah, definitely on top of that, it's for a lot of professional athletes, depending on the situation, but, you know, even the, the team wouldn't necessarily be willing to wait around for somebody to fully recover um, because they can just as easily get someone else to yep. to be fully, that's fully healthy to, to perform to, the to job take, as well. So that's, well, yeah, the, the, the idea that you lose your job if yes. you don't perform. Yeah. Um, so these are all the external factors that um, put that pressure mm. that unfortunately leads a lot of these people to irreparable uh, injuries. Yeah, you know, where they have to actually literally quit yeah. the game. You know, so. But I, I think this can also be in other situations, not just like physical sports. But yes, um, I mean, let's say you you had to give like presentations like all the time other what and your job depended on it but yeah. every time you did it it just gave you a massive like panic attack oh, yeah. you know i'm sure there's people in those kind of yes. scenarios as well yes of course a lot mm. a lot of people who have public speaking uh fears you know um uh, we call we call this anxiety performance anxiety mm. and um Absolutely, is is a is an issue for a lot of people that um, uh, you know it's a question of pride, um, not necessarily wanting to um, go and talk to someone yeah. and to say, listen, I have this issue, I'd like to work on it. So a lot of them kind of hide that this until they actually get a full blown panic attack, yeah. you know, perhaps uh, in the middle of, of, of a speech, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, and. Uh, and don't understand what it is, so they think they're they're mm. having a, they're actually having a heart attack, mm. and they end up being going to ER, not understanding what's going on. They're 
you know, high blood pressure and getting all the symptoms that would be typical of that of having kind of a cardiac, right. uh, you know, issue. Mm -hmm. uh, that eventually, you know, very quickly after doing the test, they discover that, oh, you don't actually have anything physiological. Yeah. You know, it's not your heart. It's totally fine. Yeah. What you're experiencing is what we call a panic attack. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, who end up being in e going to ER. Mm. Uh, actually, the, the, the most prevalent issues we see in, in emergencies mm. are mental health related mm. that consume the largest percentage of issues that are found in ER. Yeah. Uh, and yet, uh, that's, that's where not a lot of work is still being done. So, yeah. you know, just, again, just to show you how much we, we still have to do in terms of like mental health awareness and uh, uh, maybe adjustments in our approaches, in our approaches to everything, mm. actually, in any line of work, uh, in any line of life, yeah. you know, in any area. You know, it's it's uh, really the, the, you know, the, mi the mind is the, 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 the biggest agent you know, to, uh, to how uh, our, we are with our body. Right. So, I mean, I think maybe for your, yourself, um, similar to even, you know, outsider's perspective, because that we are, you know, in the industries that we are, that, you know, they may have the perspective that like, oh, from a health and fitness perspective, like my everything in everything I do is just perfect, right? Everything's just set. And I know exactly what to do in every situation for myself as well. Uh, do you... Are there any things uh, for yourself that you're still kind of like you you have you have trouble dealing with or anything that you're kind of like working through that um, that you'd be willing to kind of share? Um, I would say not to like put you on the spot, man. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's fine. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I that I uh, find myself struggling with is. Um, Maintaining consistency mm. uh, with the practices that I enjoy and I love to do. Yeah. Uh, whether it's um, uh, playing a sport like uh, playing tennis, mm -hmm. I love playing tennis, um, or it could just be practices like practicing yoga or even Pilates. Yeah. Uh, or doing uh, 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 you know a personal training. Yeah. You know. Uh, I'll, I'll find myself starting or getting back in, into the flow of it yeah. and being really kind of uh, committed in my mind, okay, I'm going to do this like two times a week or right. I'm going to do this every day for yeah. 30 minutes, depending on, on what it is. And I'll find myself doing that for a little while and then very quickly, you know, I'm, there's something what might come along and then right. I won't do it and then I'll fall into that cycle of delaying mm. and say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow and then tomorrow becomes next week and the next week becomes one month and then soon after, I would say like six months later, I haven't been doing what I've been what I what I enjoy doing because right. whenever I do it I enjoy it and I love yeah. it and then I fall into this vacuum yeah. of not doing it and wonder why I'm not necessarily you know doing so great you know or not yes. you know you know not not so happy or as content as I could be and it doesn't occur to me it's so simple it's so 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 silly actually do it doesn't occur like. to me that wait a minute you just went out of the the, 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 the nice cycle that, that you find yourself in sometimes, yeah. you know, and then why do you do that? Yeah. So that, that, that would be the one thing that, that, that you know, I'm, uh, I, I struggle with. Yeah, actually. it's definitely quite interesting that, like, we, even if we find something that we quite enjoy that, um, 
I, I think this is what you were describing. I think a lot of people can identify with this. Like, okay, I'm doing these things and it makes me feel amazing. And then eventually, like, I just stopped doing them. And it's like, why'd you stop? <laughs> it's like, they still feel amazing. And, uh, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, and then, then, yeah, I, I totally understand. I, I've definitely had those scenarios where it's like, uh, it's like, man, I'm feeling really bad. Like, what's, you know, like, what's wrong? It's like, oh, I stopped doing all those things that just made me feel really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it it could have started. It could have been that way either because you know you for some reason you got sick, and then you had mm. to be in bed for a few days. Okay? Yeah, and then and it that, broke that, the cycle. That broke the cycle, or you maybe you traveled. Okay, and for some reason when we travel, okay, it breaks our routine, mm. and for some reason we find it difficult to kind of still take our routine with us, regardless of where we are. At least yeah. some parts of a routine, and to continue that yeah. in some shape. Uh, or, or yeah, I do find with like with vacations, right? Like people are just like, oh, I'm on vacation, so I'm gonna stop doing all these things, <laughs> yeah. and then and then they come back out of vacation, and then you know they'll use expressions like, oh, I need a vacation from my vacation, or I need. Uh, then it takes you, you know, two, three weeks or a month to recover from the one week vacation that you took. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because when you're used to a, a routine and your routine is a good one for you and you're living at an, let's say, optimal level for you mm. uh, uh, and then you break that, uh, actually, you're comfortable in maintaining it. There's just something about this, something comfortable about the, um, the rhythm. Like you're, we're in the rhythm. Okay, we're gonna be going on holiday soon. Maybe we're excited about going on holiday, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, maybe we're just in the good rhythm, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, that can actually cause sometimes, you know, a little bit of concern. You're saying, okay, actually, you know what? I'd like to go on holiday, but uh, I'd like to also keep my mm -hmm. rhythm and not to break it because I know when I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna need a bit of time to readjust to my old rhythm, and you always need that readjustment period. Mm go back in and that's usually when routines are broken yeah and it's very difficult to get get yourself back in but uh, I mean routines don't necessarily uh, get broken just from like let's say going on a vacation but even um, I mean let's say you're single and then you I don't know you go from being single to having a relationship or even just other things in life that can like new people coming into your life can can affect it as well Yes. Um, do you do you ever find it's difficult for people to not to understand even the idea that even though someone in their life is very close to them that that it can be negatively affecting like what they would be considered like their old, old optimal life? Well, what do you mean exactly so, by that? Like, so like um, you know, I do find that like let's say you wanted to be like more, you want to be healthier, you want to exercise more, you want to do all these things for your health. Uh, but your, you know, all your friends are still in an are in a situation where they just like they want to go party all the time. They want to go eat out to like fast food restaurants all the time. Yes. Uh, people trying to break out of, trying to do one thing for their own personal health, but trying to break out of the social situations that they're in. Yeah, that's that's, that's definitely a, a an, an important a point, and I think a lot of people do find themselves in this kind of situation for mm -hmm. sure. Um, it doesn't really make it easy because you're here having to kind of make a choice in a way. Mm -hmm. right? Because in a, a choice of just doing what I like to do, because my friends don't do the same thing or mm. don't like the same thing, um, or is it that I want to spend more time with these friends? You know, but again, there's again this this is really vast because 
some 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 of these situations might be very toxic, right? Yeah. You know, and but there's degrees of it being toxic depending on on some people. Now, maybe maybe my social life is going to be you know uh, with people that you know, if they happen to be very toxic, then that's going to affect me. Mm. You know, and I might find it really difficult to get myself out of that mm. of, of that loop and I might fall into the into the dimension you know in, in, into maybe falling into addictions and, and other things like that sure um, yes I, again your, your social life is a, is, a, is a fundamental component in in uh, you know uh, what, uh, how, how you want to be and the type of lifestyle that you have and yeah. the type of optimal lifestyle that, that, that you want and maybe there are certain sacrifices uh, that you're going to have to make you know yeah. depending on what you actually really want for yourself yeah. so you, that would be a so big big part of the process is actually figuring yeah. out like what it is you actually want yeah. to do and yeah. maybe how would you better prioritize yeah. certain things in your but life for sure I mean, one of the things we'll, we'll be talking about for example is that what, what are the aspects of your life that are unhelpful to you mm. yeah. so that we can actually identify all the triggers you know and that would obviously include your social life yeah. as well if mm -hmm. is my social life a helper or is it something that constitutes the unhelper mm -hmm. to me you know yeah. uh, and so what would I be willing to do okay would I be willing to reduce the time spent in that social life would I be you know what, what would be the, the steps that I would be willing uh, to uh, to engage in yeah. to achieve what I'm um, really wanting for myself, yeah. which we would have to assess. What do I really want for myself? A lot of people don't necessarily know the answer to that question. What do mm. I really want for myself? Mm. You know, uh, I think it's a quite know. difficult mm. question for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I think you know partially too is because like they end up spending so much of their life uh, living up to the expectations of what other people want, right? Absolutely. I mean, you think of and uh, like if you're coming from a you know an Asian family, yeah. um, you know, like my, my business partner, Johnson, he's, you know, from a Malaysian family, Malaysian Chinese, and, okay. you know, his, his uh, family, his dad's, you know, uh, oil and gas and, and yeah. the whole engineering thing, and, you know, the idea that you would not be, like, a doctor or not be in, like, an industry that just makes a ton of money, it's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. fitness? Like, what is, what is that? What are you, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. So true. And it's such a, you know, so, so a lot of a lot of people have these pressures coming directly from their family, you know, and, and, mm. and expectations that they're having to live with. So a lot of the time, they they're used to just doing for others. Yeah. They they've never even um, considered. Yeah. Because they were never actually even invited mm. to ask themselves the question yeah. and to think about what it is that they actually want for themselves. Yeah. Because they've never really existed. Yeah. They've they've only they what they've done is is without realizing it. Obviously, it's because of the situation that they're in. Yeah. They've you know they've just been there to like do what is going to please. Yeah. Uh, their their and family. I think, yeah, and I think something that I mean this is one thing that's been uh, great like with uh, with Johnson's parents is like they've just been very supportive, um, even though it kind of goes against the kind of the grain of like what you know, their, their friends or relatives or whatever would traditionally do. Um, I think that was something that even having, you know, initially, obviously a difficult decision for him to make and, and them to like kind of accept, but to have their support in, um, you know, in, in 
the, the big shift in the industry for him, I think is really helpful. So I think going back to like how, you know, if you, you know, present, you kind of figure out what exactly you want in life and you want to maintain some, you know, relationship with the, the people in your life. I think uh, there is a part of it where, you know, you tell them like what it exactly you want to make changes and uh, sometimes you get kind of backlash, I would, I would say, like why would you want to make these changes? But then some people who are very supportive um, yeah. in that. Of course, I mean, it's, it, it takes a lot of courage to um, um, stand up for yourself mm. when you've been in a culture mm-hmm. and growing up in an education yeah. where it was all about um, honoring what your family wants yeah parents want go into the family business or it takes incredible amount mm. of of courage to take a stand because the consequences for some might be really difficult emotionally mm. being you know to the extreme dishonored you know uh, you know so it, it's it can be very difficult kind of transition yeah to make so for those who actually do take that that step uh, is, can be very tough to do and it's pretty incredible that yeah. they've made the step and of course it's gonna require an adjustment period for all the members mm. you know involved but um, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a heavy burden mm. yeah. it's, it's a tricky thing transitions in life very are tricky for, yeah really hard very tricky but it's important that you know you it's really important for everyone, for every single person, to to um, be given just this opportunity to ask to ask themselves what is it that they want. Yeah. You know. Um, but in order to to come to that place of being able to ask yourself that question is is to have a certain you know let's say a certain level of self worth. Mm. You know that I'm. I'm worthy to do such a step for mm. myself. That doesn't come very easy. You know? No, I'm sure it's, yeah, it's yeah, quite a hard yeah, process it, for it sure. Can, it can be really hard process, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think even for me, like, uh, you know, I did, uh, I was always kind of into health, but not really like in the industry very much. Mm. And then um, one of my friends just suggested the idea that you know the both of us do like a bodybuilding competition together just like just to experience it you know and uh like halfway through the process he like hurt his back he had a herniated disc and he just like stopped okay and then but i was like halfway through i was like all right well screw it i'm just gonna keep going but then once i got to the part where i needed to like i i couldn't drink and i couldn't do like eat the unhealthier foods right it it massively affected my social life because i understood that if if I went out, like I would drink, right? If I went to like a restaurant where it had a bunch of unhealthy foods, like I would just I couldn't help myself. So I just kind of like remove myself from those environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in doing so, it kind of like I, there was a large like not necessarily large, but there was a percentage of my of my of my friends that I thought were my friends. They would only meet me in those scenarios, in those situations. Um, so it was quite tough, just from a um, like having relationships with the people around me because it 
um, it forced me to realize like who were like true friends that would just like meet me up for coffee um, or friends that were just they were only friends in like they were just drinking friends right they would just only meet me for this particular activity which I thought was quite uh, yeah yeah interesting very difficult for sure but yeah but I'm happy I did it yeah Yeah. I guess in situations like this you really you really also discover who's really there for you yeah yeah you know but I do I, this uh, also makes me think of uh, there's like these uh, YouTube videos of people kind of going to the extreme okay like they they actively test their friends like to like in extreme situations okay um, and it goes pretty bad sometimes All right. like okay. like the whole like uh, you know would you would you risk your life to save my life and they like there's they're not necessarily real they're not real situation like they're not real yeah but they've kind of created yeah they're made up and Mm. they they hire someone to like be uh to stage it to stage it to be a robber or something like that and they just see how their boyfriend would react Uh um but there's some crazy yeah yeah, there's a lot of testing stuff like this it's nuts man okay i'm just going youtube it's like crazy stuff like everywhere yeah yeah i don't know what that's kind of encouraging though you know. Well, they like they they th- they feel like because they feel like oh are you a true friend right are you a real friend or are you so t- you know test your friends now yeah. by doing these kind extreme of things, extreme things yeah. extreme yeah so I'm not I'm not sure that that's really a, it's probably a very constructive <laughs> thing to encourage people to do you yeah, know? yeah yeah there's yeah. a lot of things you see on the internet or YouTube that you know I don't know is kind of. Um, yeah, it's a big question mark, you mm. know, and uh, just a lot of things that are pretty dangerous, really, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, just sim- similar to websites that you have there called like Pro Anna websites, and Pro okay. Anna stands yeah. for anorexia. Oh. So Pro anorexic websites. Really? Okay. So okay. basically, what they're they're out there is just basically teaching people teaching people how to to be anorexic uh, how to be anorexic so, yeah. oh. and this is a, a big big issue in, yeah. uh, on the on the on the world wide web and people need to be aware of uh, of, of these things so yeah um, you know to to be I careful think, yeah. with, what, with what you see because uh, it's a huge issue whether yeah. it's that or many others for other issues as well. I think so, yeah like, there could be for sure like uh, maybe almost like anti-help groups where Mm-hmm. you you find a group or you find a community that's dealing with the same problem and then instead of like helping each other like overcome these issues they just accept that they all have this issue and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and all, all these perhaps you know fast ways of being able to build muscles or uh, and then they fall into the wrong path of, mm. of doing it, you know, in a kind of microwavable fast solution, and ends yeah. up, you know, uh, you with steroids, you know, and then going yeah. down a complete, uh, you know, like uh, an extreme of da- dangerous path. Yeah, an extreme of steroids has been like uh, this thing called synthol, synthol okay. oil. Okay. So essentially, they inject this oil or they inject this material into their like their biceps, okay. and it artificially creates like a like big biceps like big muscles wow. but if you look at it you just like go on like on on the web and wow. just look at like like i think it's just yeah just synthol oil and stuff and you just see these people with like 
really disfigured bodies and stuff because it only I think it only lasts for a short period of time before and then they kind of get some people get addicted to it kind of like with tattoos sometimes yeah we're like some people can stop obviously but some people just can't stop with they just can't stop getting tattoos yes and they'll just keep going and so these guys with synthol they'll just like keep putting synthol in their body and it's just wow it's just unreal like some of the the addictive behavior that can that yeah. can happen yes mm. yeah 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 correct cool yeah all right man okay. well um right. if uh if anybody wanted to get in touch with you uh yeah. what would be the best way to find out maybe more about your retreats or yeah they can just go on the website it's mm -hmm. called uh, choicesretreats.com mm -hmm. or uh, they can just um, uh, look me up on linkedin okay you no know, just uh jeremy alford okay you know, uh dr jeremy alford they yeah you'll be able to find me there cool man and uh send me an email or yeah. Yeah, and we'll yeah for sure go ahead and put all like your your contacts and information and stuff okay. um, on the on the on the information below the podcast. Uh, so for anybody's looking to come to Bali and um, you know if you got to deal with some physical issues, you know come see us at Nirvana Strength. But if you got to maybe do a combination of the two, or you know if you got any other um, you know concerns, um, concerns, or feeling lost or confused or yeah. fears or stress <laughs> uh yeah i think dr jeremy alfred is definitely the way to go he's a super smart guy and um yeah and i love like i think the approach that we both take with regards to our industries are i mean very similar and i think that's that's uh, that's that's one thing that i just really appreciated about um you know all the conversations that we had mm -hmm. is um i think we're trying to get away from that the kind of corporate uh uh, system uh, and environment of kind of just getting people through the door and just you know um, yeah. and helping them actually deal with yeah. you know their issues yeah of course um, and seeing one person at a time we're, we're all different so the more personalized the approach is mm -hmm. the better it is and, for sure and uh, most important is is having realistic expectations a realistic understanding of, right. of what processes what the process is so People don't have like unrealistic expectations and experience disappointments and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. Cool. And uh, just a really quick uh, last little plug for the uh, the Haven Suites Bali Barrar Hotel, which is where we're uh, recording today. Uh, it's a fantastic beach on the ocean. We're like literally right on the beach. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a yeah, it's a pretty sweet room. Really nice yeah. place. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, so like surfing the spot is just behind us <laughs> yeah right behind us for sure um, so thanks for joining in for another episode of uh, Nirvana Strength Practitioners Panel and we'll see you next